Several years ago, I remember um, talking with somebody who had been going to a weekly Bible study that she thought was absolutely amazing. And so I asked her, I said, tell me about this. And she said, well, listen, we have to memorize 10 verses every week. She said, we have daily thought journals. We're finding connections between different parts of the Bible. She said, I'm studying the Bible like I never have before. And I said to her, I said, man, that is fantastic. And I bet you're making all kinds of connections into your daily life too. And she looked at me and she was puzzled. She said, no, not really. We're just kind of learning what's in the Bible. She had not made the application into her daily life. Now, unfortunately for this really sweet, uh, dedicated woman of God, her experience in that Bible study is not uh, uncommon. Sometimes we can be focused so much on the what of the Christian life that we forget about the how. We focus on what are we supposed to believe rather than how are we supposed to live based on what we believe. I know of a church that that currently requires that every Bible study that they have have a missional component to it so that they can put into practice what they're learning. So, for example, for every four hours of Bible study, they put one hour into serving other people. I think that's a wonderful idea because it moves people from faith in their heads to faith in their hands where they're actually living what they're studying about in that Bible study classroom. You may remember a few weeks ago we we took a look at the prophet Elijah uh, and what a firebrand he was. He lived up north in the northern kingdom of Israel. Well, today we're looking at the prophet Micah who was a southern boy. He was from the south. He was from the kingdom of Judah. And the capital of Judah was Jerusalem. And the people of Judah in Micah's day knew that they had disobeyed God. And now they wanted God to go easy on them. They were looking for any way they could find to keep God from getting mad at them. Remember when you were growing up, you know, there was probably one parent that you'd talk to when you got in trouble? Think back. I remember when I drove my Jeep off a mountain in Washington State. Um, yeah, it was either get hit by a, a logging truck or go off the embankment. I chose the embankment. I, I called home, and I didn't want to talk to my dad. I wanted to talk to my mom. So my dad answers the phone. Hi, Dad. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm at a pay phone in the middle of nowhere. Can I talk to Mom? <laughs> didn't even tell him what I had done. But then dad got back on the phone and it wasn't too pleasant after mom and dad said, oh baby, I'm just so glad you're okay. You know, here, talk to your father. No, it's okay. (laughs) You know, I want my mommy. So God's people were looking to try to get out of the bad stuff they had done. And they said, you know, if it takes us extra prayers, extra sacrifices, extra offerings, they didn't care. They would do whatever it took to get God to be happy with them. So in verse 6 of our scripture, Micah is kind of of paraphrasing what was going through the people's minds. 
And the people were saying, what can we give the Lord to make up for all that we've done wrong? So they're trying to engage in various holy activities to make up for their sins. So they named lots of different things that they could do. You know, should we give God our best calves? Maybe that would make God happy. What if we gave God thousands of young rams and so much olive oils it could fill rivers? Maybe we should... Maybe we should sacrifice our firstborn children to God. Would that keep God from being mad at us? The people are desperate. They're willing to do whatever it took to make God happy. And yes, you heard that right. Even if it meant sacrificing their own children. You may not know this. uh, Not... I mean, it's not really publicized, but child sacrifice actually happened in the Hinnom Valley, just southwest of Jerusalem. That actually happened. In that valley, they were sacrificed, children were sacrificed to a fire god. And that same valley was later called the Valley of Gehenna, and it was used by Jesus as an example of hell. I mean, child sacrifice is just appalling to think about. But I want you to stay with me because I, in some ways, we're doing a modified version of that today. Children get sacrificed all the time on the altars of parents' careers. Children get sacrificed on the altars of what parents want to do We forget about our kids because we're so focused on what we want to do, what we want to accomplish. See, kids aren't like fashion accessories. Having a child's not like getting a puppy. They're amazing gifts from God that require 20 or more years of sacrifice. But let me tell you, there's no greater joy in the world than raising a child in the ways of God. What a blessing that is. All those sacrifices are absolutely worth it because children are gifts to us from God himself. So, so the people in Micah's day had, had good intentions, but they're a little bit desperate. They needed to find some way to win over God so that God would forgive them. Have you ever done that? Be honest. Oh, I haven't been to worship in a while, so I better go so God doesn't get mad at me. I've got a job interview, so I better pray. I've got a final exam. Time to start praying. No, I haven't given to the offering in a couple of months, so I better give. We do these things out of guilt. We do these things because maybe if we do, God will be happy with us it's the same emotions that we experience that people have sensed in their hearts for thousands of years see it doesn't matter what what time period or culture you're from what it means to be a human is the same 
We want to do what's right because we know it'll be good for us. In the religion of Buddhism, it's about karma. You've heard about karma. You better do the right thing or else the wrong thing's going to happen to you. Now that idea of karma is opposite of Christian teaching. That's the opposite of what Christians should believe. Our motivation for what we do shouldn't be about how it's going to affect us. If I go to church, if I pray, then God will be nice to me. Our motivation for what we do should come from our love for God. It's just a natural expression. We love God, and so we live and act a certain way. Sometimes we try to earn God's love by doing the right things. If we say the magic words, pray the right prayers, God's going to respond to us favorably. Let me tell you, that kind of idea is not in the Bible. In fact, our scripture passage today says that's not what we should be doing. I want you to think about something. Y'all know I'm going to be a professor in a few months, so put on your thinking caps, kids. I want you to think about something that's a little bit deep, but not too bad. I want you to realize something if you've never thought about this. God is never going to love you more than he does right now. See, God's love for us doesn't grow. It doesn't deepen like our love for God can grow. God's love for us doesn't. God's love for us is perfect because God is perfect. If God could love us deeper or more intently than he does right now, that means that his love for us right now is not a perfect love. And God's perfect. God can't deepen his love for us because he already loves us in a perfect way. Many of us waste our time. We waste years of our lives trying to earn God's love. And when we do that, we we forget that God has already loved us with a perfect love before we even knew anything about God. He already loved us at the deepest level before we were born. What Micah is telling us in our scripture passage is that God isn't concerned with how we worship. He's not concerned with what type of ritual we follow. God is concerned about what happens in our soul and how it gets shared with others. Micah 6.8 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. In that verse, Micah says this. He says, the Lord's already told you what he requires of you. Do what's right. Love people with kindness. And walk humbly with God. 
You know, sometimes I think we in the church can get distracted by issues and programs that have nothing to do with how God wants us to live. We have these, not church arguments, churches always have discussions. Isn't that right? We have discussions about what type of music is appropriate for worship. How should we how should we serve the Lord's Supper? When I was growing up in New Orleans, you know those little cups? We didn't call them little cups. We called them something different in the Big Easy. Little baby shot glasses. So should we have communion in the little cups and the wafers? Or what about the dunking method? I had someone in a church say one time, Preacher, I'm going to skip communion if you ever do the dunking method. I said, what? Intinction, it's a churchy word. Why? And he said, don't you know your Bible, preacher? I said, well, tell me. He said, Jesus said, whoever dips his hand in with mine, he's my traitor. He said, Judas dipped his. I said, oh, my goodness. So we have these little discussions and disagreements in the church. What time should the worship services be? I remember in a former church that I served a long time ago, we met twice a week for three weeks to decide the ideal temperature for the sanctuary on Sunday mornings. We even called in an engineering professor from Baylor University who did a study on the airflow in the sanctuary. And how the vents should be, you know, what, what direction they should be blowing in different sections. And I, I can tell you, I wonder what we found out. The ideal temperature to set the air conditioning for a sanctuary is 70 degrees. That's what they, it, it, it took us, I don't know, six, seven meetings to decide that. But hey, we solved the issue, right? So we're doing all of these things, having all of these church discussions, and God is there saying, stop. What are you doing? He says, I've already told you what you're supposed to do. I've already told you how you're supposed to live. Y'all just do what's right. Love people with kindness. Walk humbly with God. You may have seen a picture of this on the, on the practice field for the New Orleans Saints. There's a large 40-foot sign. Have you ever seen this sign? On this giant 40-foot sign on the practice fields in New Orleans for the Saints, this giant sign has three words. Do your job. That's all it says. If everybody on the team does what they're supposed to do on the field... And they forget about all the drama that can distract them. The idea is that the saints will be successful. Maybe we in the church need to hear that as well. Maybe we need a committee to meet for seven times. Maybe we'll put it on the wall. Do your job. Keep the main thing the main thing as a church. Do what's right. Love people with kindness. Walk humbly with God. 
To do what's right is to live the way God wants us to live. To treat everybody fairly. Use common sense. Be the same person wherever you go. Live with authentic integrity. To love mercy is to show loving kindness to people. Y'all just be nice. That's what it means. Just be nice. You know, I'm always shocked at how difficult this can be for Christians. All right, I'm leaving in a few weeks. I'm just going to let her rip. If you don't like it, call the bishop. How difficult is it for us just to be nice? We worship God, and then we're rude to people. Like, I mean, it's easy to be nice to people that we like. But how do you treat those telemarketers when they call you during supper? You know, these folks are just trying to earn a living like we are. They have bills to pay like we do. They're the voice of their company, but they may not even like what they're selling. They just have a script in front of them. They've got to make so many calls an hour. If you want to throw them off, just ask them, how's your day going? You okay? I've, I, I've even offered to pray for one of them. You sound stressed. Are you okay? I'm a pastor. Can I pray for you? And they said, just a second. I'll find that on my script. <laughs> Make people smile. What's wrong with that? And see, treating people with kindness is more than just important. If people know you're a Christian, you represent God to them. So let's be careful. God also wants us to walk humbly with him. Notice it doesn't say, you know, walk proudly with God. You know, thinking we're like a super Christian or something. Well, I'm going to out-Christian you. There's some of that every once in a while. Nah, just walk humbly with God. You've heard me say this before. Humility is just having an honest opinion about who you are. That's what humility is. I am who I am. It's not thinking everybody's better than you are. It's just knowing who you are. And the only way to really do that is to walk with God. Because the more we understand who God is, the more we're going to understand ourselves. We can't be humble on our own because that's just prideful. True humility comes when we see ourselves for who we are through our relationship with Jesus. See, this is how God wants us to live, both as individuals and as a church. See, churches need to learn what it is that God wants them to do. I find it sadly humorous, mainly sad, some humorous, when, when churches try to outdo each other. Have you ever seen that? We're going to have the best facilities. We're going to have the best ministries. We have the best staff. We have the best worship experience. And they say that they're doing all this in Jesus' name. There's a church in the Houston area a few years ago 
that wanted to outdo every other church in that town. It was a suburb of Houston. It was, it was when one of those Pirates of the Caribbean movies came out. So, so you know what they did in their worship center? It was a pretty contemporary church. They built a pirate ship up on the platform. And then they had a billboard to advertise it. It was something like, we have a pirate ship. Does your church? It was like, what? No, we don't. We try to outdo each other to have the most gimmicky way of getting people to come to worship. And while we're trying to one-up each other in the church, we're missing the mark of how God wants us to exist as the body of Christ on earth. What does God want us to do as the people of Centenary? He wants us to live the right way. He wants us to treat others with loving kindness. He wants us to walk humbly with him. Being faithful to God is not about having the right worship music. The right proper order of worship in the bulletin. It's not about what sermon style the preacher uses. It's not about how many weeks a Bible study meets. To live the way God wants us to live is right here in Micah 6. See, the Christian life begins with an attitude And a proper attitude leads to a commitment to God. And a commitment to God leads to faithful living. This isn't anything we can do on our own. Let's not fool ourselves. This is the work that God does in us. All we have to do is make ourselves open to Jesus. Invite him into our lives. And the Holy Spirit will empower and enable us to live the right way. I wonder, I wonder if we complicate the faith so much that we forget what it means simply to live as a disciple of Jesus. Why do we complicate it? Remember, being a disciple of Jesus means that you're an apprentice of Jesus. You're following Jesus. You're living the kind of life that Jesus talked about and the kind of life that he lived himself. See, that's a life that's all about what God wants for us and not the kind of life we selfishly say that we're going to live. Being a disciple of Jesus is a life of doing what's right. It's a life that shows kindness to everybody. It's a life that walks humbly with God. And maybe God is saying to us today, y'all just do your job. Just do your job. You know what you're supposed to do as a Christian. Just do your job. Do what's right. Show loving kindness to everybody. Walk humbly with God. We can get those three things nailed down. We're doing all right. Let's pray.